This is not psychotherapy. Dr. Wills does not have a provider-patient relationship with this guest. These are just two people talking about emotions. Welcome to Give a F*** Actually with your host, Dr. Alex Wills. Hey, welcome to Give a Fuck Actually. I'm Dr. Alex Wills. Today, we have Craig Hope. Thanks for coming on, Craig. Thanks for having me. So Craig actually works with us at Perma Mental Health. He is an AANP certified family nurse practitioner. He began his education at California State University, Chico, and later finished his graduate studies at California State University, Sonoma. He currently works as a full-time nurse practitioner at our Twin Falls, Idaho location. Craig and his wife and their four kids have lived in the Twin Falls area for the past couple of years. They love camping, mountain biking, playing games, and enjoying the Twin Falls area. Twin Falls is my hometown, so I'm quite partial to it myself. Their oldest daughter has recently married her best friend, so they have gained another hardworking kid in their little clan. So anything else you wanted to add uh, by way of introduction, Craig? Um, No, that's pretty good. (laughs) Okay. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about yourself, your interest in mental health, and uh, yeah, just kind of what would you like folks to know about you in addition to that? Yeah, thank you. Um, well, PERMA's uh, really has been an extraordinary experience for me uh, to be able to interact with patients in a, in a different way than I have in the past. Um, back when I was an RN, um, I was working predominantly critical care, uh, ICU trauma, uh, the ER for the majority of that. And we saw a lot of mental health, but our interactions with mental health were just so different. And so uh, advancing my degree um, and I think doing kind of family medicine and some urgent care stuff, that was really fun too and a great experience. But I just can't compare that. I, it's just so much fun to do this to do mental health it's i don't know uh, it's this gift that is so rewarding uh being able to be a part of some pretty remarkable breakthroughs uh that patients get to have that is very humbling and it's just such a cool experience um yeah so that's kind of i don't know i've enjoyed it it's been great uh i didn't think i didn't think i'd be like mental health wasn't necessarily something i you know was going for but uh sort of stumbled upon it and uh it's been it's been uh perfect it's been really great so i've loved it a lot yeah you know mental health it's a gift that keeps on giving i almost became an ophthalmologist and i ended up matching in hawaii for psychiatry and man never look back it's just every week you like learn some other precious thing that makes life so much better so if any other providers out there are interested in doing mental health stuff give us a call because we are expanding and we want to share the joy. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's truly, yeah, you're right. The gift that keeps on giving, uh, I'm humbled all the time by my patients. They're just so amazing. I learn stuff and go, Oh boy, maybe I need to do something like that for, for my own life. So it's really, it's really a amazing experience. Yeah. You know, in the book, I give credit to my patients who really are my best teachers. Like, they teach me what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong. They're, they teach me what therapy works and what psychotherapy 
psychobabble doesn't work, what doesn't fit for them. And, you know, everyone's different, but that's, that's really where the rubber meets the road is when you see real change in real people's lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Do any examples come to mind of that's been life-changing, big or small for you as far as stuff with your patients or just stuff you've kind of picked up since you've been in mental health the last couple of years? Um, man, uh, seeing patients being able to work through past trauma. I, I think uh, seeing them be able to take a journey like through EMDR therapy or art therapy or um, it's a, maybe perhaps a different type of approach that they do with their own counselor. And then I get to see kind of the, the end result, as it were, the not end result, but it's like they, you yeah. know, the successful post-surgical uh, patient and they feel much better and do, you know, you know, it's just, they really, they're, if you diagnose correctly, you get them the right therapy, maybe the right medicine, who knows, but I, I've seen a lot of, so many folks have come into me and they have been a train wreck, <laughs> just absolutely. <laughs> Their life is a mess and uh, oh, we work through, we just take it step by step, work through the problems and um, trying to get them it's sometimes like patients are just coming from uh trauma histories that are so horrible so dark so kind of beyond my skills for as like trauma but you know really i just try to listen as best i can and give them that kind of unconditional positive regard i think is what it's called that uh you know knowing that they are they are worth the effort they're worth the uh the work and um gosh that has been so amazing to see people like eat, despite horrible stuff that they've had to endure um really come out the other side and go you know what it's still a part of my past it, it did happen but there's no more emotional sting there's no more emotional upheaval and that is so cool <laughs> that is just really amazing to see that yeah, that, that's great to hear. Yeah, that Adlerian psychotherapy approach of that unconditional positive regard. And and that is the motto at PERMA. It's uh, we listen. We really want to be the providers that listen to folks and make sure that folks feel like they're being heard and, and they are being heard and, and especially validating their emotions and all that stuff. I'm curious, just generically, you know, with radical emotional acceptance, we're always trying to think of how we can validate those painful, sad, scary emotions. And I'm wondering if, and if not, it's fine, but if any examples pop into mind of, of how that's been kind of helpful for, for patients in your work. Oh with yeah. Them. That has been, uh, probably a, just a, a huge new perspective for them. When we talk about, and I think the, uh, what is it? The, um, idea of like there's no bad emotions, there's no bad colors. I use that all the time. I, I talk to the, my patients yeah. and, and they're like, I can see their face kind of like, could be funny. They've never considered that, you know? <laughs> and I think, gosh, it's like, I don't know, 50, 60% of my patients were working through some emotion, we're working through something. And when we get to a point where it's like a good transition, a good safe place where we can say, I can bring it up and be like, well, what, you know, where do you think this is coming from? Cause I truly, I don't know. I don't know what, where this comes from, but in, in some 
Sometimes I do. Sometimes I know enough about their history and their trauma and I can ask them that thinking for the most part, I think I know the answer, but to watch them kind of take a negative emotion that they don't like, that they push down and that they are like, I hate this <laughs> and kind of look at it and go, what, where is this really coming from? What is this teaching you? What is, um, why does this seem to matter to you? Um, and watching them think, watching them kind of like take a minute and there has to be, you know, kind of insight. There has to be, um, they have to be able to really think and kind of take a look inside. So that's sort of perhaps a prerequisite, but they, uh, um, like, uh, I had one patient who, uh, when at a very, very young age, I think less than 10 years old, abandoned by her parents, by her mom in a hospital. She was, uh, injured pretty badly, uh, head injury and saved but, uh, Last time she saw her mom was in the hospital bed to just moms took off, never, never saw her again. So huge abandonment issues. And so we were able to, you know, kind of correlate as an adult. Now she's, you know, of course, a full grown adult. So adult. So we talk about like, why does that sting so much when people leave you? And um, why are you so uh, anxiously engaged to attach to anyone that will, you know, give you any time, give you any attention. And uh, that has proven to be kind of difficult in her life because she's attached to some pretty toxic people herself. So um, that that had really, I think, kind of looking at that in that perspective, like where where are these emotions coming from? You know, when someone does leave and, oh yeah, okay, that's probably due to something that happened deep in my childhood. And, you know, I don't know, I, I don't really like um, necessarily you know, I'm, I don't know that I'm good enough to really do session after session with that. Although sometimes I feel like I'm able to kind of open the door and go, there's probably a correlation here. You know, there's probably something here. Let's, I want you to go see your therapist. I want you guys to work on this more, go do EMDR therapy, you know, really, um, really get to the bottom of that. And so that, that's, I think kind of been some, some instances where the REA, I think, uh, philosophy can be used to kind of really help people take a look inside and yeah, see where those emotions are coming from. And and by the way, for folks listening out there, we had spoken offline in any examples we give are about fictionalized patients. We don't talk about actual patients or any, uh, you know, identifying information, but it's helpful to kind of talk about that type, you know, like um, a child who went through some traumatic stuff and then they still have to deal with things as an adult. I'm, I'm curious for people out there that aren't familiar with the color analogy, how emotions are like colors, how would you describe that briefly? Craig? Oh yeah, so uh, thank you. If there's not, like there's some emotions you don't like, vulnerability, uh, maybe sadness, maybe, I don't know, anger. And these are emotions, they're human emotions. So if you're a human, they're part of your emotional sort of breadth. Just like on the spectrum of colors, there's no bad or good colors, they're just colors. So that, that was a really amazing part of me understanding the reason for emotion. Or if a patient is saying, I, I just don't want to care about this situation right now, this person, it's making this whole thing, it's making me feel really, really bad. And that's like saying, you know, I don't, I don't want to see the color green or I don't want to see the color blue. It's kind of a, well, 
that's silly. You, you do see the color green. They exist. You're, you're a human. You're going to see these colors. And so you're going to be upset. You're going to be mad. You're going to have some sad feelings of hurt or betrayal of vulnerability. And so it's, you know, even though they're icky and we don't like them, it's, I think something really important to understand and to, uh, that they're just a part of who you are and kind of, it's kind of reminds me of kind of swimming with the current a little bit. Instead of fighting upstream so much, that can become mm-hmm. exhausting. You can have some pretty powerful currents. <laughs> and so I think it's more yeah. appropriate perhaps to just swim with the current and kind of see where it can take you in, in positive directions to understand, like, this is why I'm actually feeling this way. And I really feel like with the understanding really comes the cure. You know, the more we can understand things. Right. <clears throat> yeah, when you realize that, intense fear, intense sadness, intense emotional pain. It's not, it's not there just to hurt you, just to torture you for no reason. It's there to help you to get in touch with the reality of your relationships, your situation. It's trying to help you. And when we can finally see that, we realize it's not a problem. And then we can creatively use that current. I like that analogy of like a current, like a river. And you can go with the current and use that to navigate to the side of the river that you want to go to rather than drowning by trying to swim upstream. It makes no sense. You know, this podcast is an experiment to see in real time if we can apply some of this radical emotional acceptance stuff so have you thought of anything that you wanted to talk about today, Craig, that maybe brought up some painful, difficult yes. emotions for yeah, you? I, uh, right off the bat, I knew, I knew exactly what I wanted to share. <laughs> uh, <sighs> when I was 20, well, 20, I so okay, I'm LDS, right? So I served a mission for my church. What Sorry. is LDS for folks uh, out Latter-day there that Saints, may not so know? I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And when we're, uh, when the boys turn about 19 or so now the age is earlier, but we get to, if we want go serve a full-time mission and basically they send you somewhere and you get to go wear the shirt and tie and talk to people and cool experience. Really amazing. Loved it. Life changer for me. Um, but my mom got sick and she died. Um, she was sort of my person. She was my kind of anchor. And, um, so I was way the heck out in California she was back in Texas and, uh, um, they made the decision to not really tell me that she got sick or that she had cancer. They wanted me to focus. I think they, at the beginning, they kind of thought, well, you know, Craig needs to focus on his mission stuff and, you know, things are fine. We're going to get, we're going to get through this. And I still think that was a really bad idea that <laughs> they should have told me. I ended up finding out through my mom's sister, her aunt, or excuse me, my aunt, her, her sister, Kathy. And she, well, she told me, she wrote to me once and told me in her letter and read the letter. And I thought, oh my gosh, uh, what in the actual hell is this? And so I, I started, you know, trying to get in touch with my family and trying to figure it out. And they, you know, said, yes, mom, you know, Barb's got cancer. So that changed a lot for me. And over the next several months, they were going through different testing and treatment options, but ultimately she got really, really sick and it spread. Unfortunately, she died. Uh, So I got to actually, this doesn't happen often, but through a really cool chain of events, I was actually able to go home and see her before she passed. 
And uh, that was great in certain ways because I did get to see her. And I think she saw me. She was lucid enough at one point. She did see me too. And I think that was really special. And then I stayed for about a week for the funeral, helped out with that. And then I got a chance. I was nearing the end of my mission. They gave me this option to stay home if I wanted to. And I was like, no, I want to go back to the field just because home was a really um, challenging thing uh, at that particular moment. So, okay, funeral happened, went back home or excuse me, went back to the mission field, finished out the mission, and that was good. Um, a lot of things happened after that that were really quick. Things happened, they were kind of life-changing things, good things, but hard. Th so I met my wife, we got married, started having a family right away. That was, you know, we didn't want to wait to have a family, so we started, you know, we got pregnant, had, had kids. I started a career in logistics and then was going to go to school. So I kind of, it just slingshotted me into this one direction. I just kind of survived a lot of stuff. And as I look back, my family, all them that my aunts and uncles and, you know, they all got a chance to really grieve for my mom, but I didn't. Things were a lot more difficult for me, I think, because I didn't really know she was sick. And then all of a sudden, a few months later, she's gone. And now I have to go back to the mission field and uh, there was this like ungrieved part. So, but I didn't really know that at the time. Yeah. I just was like, I just have to move on. <laughs> and I'm a pretty happy guy. I just kind of go with things and I survive a lot of stuff and I'm fairly adaptable. So like 20 years later, here I am. I got, you know, did some pretty hard things, working in the ER, back to grad school, got my MP. We moved. And I noticed that when I moved out here, I was having a hard time. I was really emotional. Things were kind of, I noticed things were very difficult for me. My tolerances for stress were much lower. I argued a lot more with my wife. We, I kind of struggled a little bit there with kind of some, not bad, but it was just, you know, I was just in this very emotional place and I didn't know what the heck was going on. And uh, I ended up, See, I took my boy camping up there in the Sawtooth Mountains this last September. It was August, September. And it was just he and I. And uh, we were outside of cell range. Had no, um, you know, no cell reception. The only thing I had uh, at the, to entertain me at night really was little games on my phone. And then the book. Actually, give a you know give a f. Actually, that was the pretty much the only thing I had. <laughs> and I remember thinking, dang, you know, why am I so emotional about all this? And uh, I had all this time. You know, he was you know my kid was asleep, and you know I had I was up late when I turned my brain off. Is usually more like ten or eleven. So I sat up and I just read, and I got to a point I can't remember what part it was. Um, the putting the shield down, putting the f down, and then kind of realizing what the more internal feelings that I was having and it immediately was like, oh my gosh, there's issues with my mom. Like there's issues with, I am still really having emotional upheavals because of what I didn't go through with the loss of my mom. And so mm -hmm. uh, I was actually seeing a, a counselor at the, at the time. And I think I might've mentioned to you what happened. I lost my counselor. 
he passed away. And um, anyway, I, so I came back home. I figured it, I was like, oh my gosh, I need, I need to go do EMDR therapy. Uh, so I, I found a local counselor here and yeah, it was absolutely amazing. The amount of grief and sadness that was still carrying this whole time. And uh, we went through some EMDR mm -hmm. therapy, which is, um, well, it's the new version of it. I, I don't exactly know. The eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And um, man, it was activating. It brought me almost right back to where I lost her. And I just, I mean, it was so much emotion, so much sadness, but I kind of got it out and I got through it. And then it spilled over kind of into other areas. My emotional tolerances were much higher. Stress was no longer, it was kind of back to how I kind of had used to be, <laughs> I guess, back when I was a little, a little younger, yeah. you know, I, I was able to tolerate a lot more again. And uh, yeah, it, it was quite amazing. My body was not letting that go, you know? You know, it's such a, it's such a heartbreaking story. And, you know, I, I have to be honest, it's, it's hard for me to kind of go there with you because when, when I imagine being 20 years old and, and losing my mom, it's, uh, it provokes such deep, painful yeah. emotions, just the thought of it. And, and to imagine, imagine you going through that when like you're, you're, as a 20 year old, we're kind of already on a mission to, to grow up and to kind of go out and become a man. And you literally yeah. were on a mission, a God given mission on top of that. So, so that sort of sense of having to be a soldier, having to be strong and you, you know, very, very empowered in that way. Of course, you know, that was sort of a, a tool of suppression that that, you know, sometimes can be a strength when we, when we need to accomplish something like that. However, th those emotions, as you discovered, like you said, 20 years later, they, they don't just right. sort of magically go away. Even if you do soldier on so for a long time. I remember I was in the, I was in the hospital wing. I was in the hallway and some other family members were in my mother's hospital room. And I remember having this thought, like, what am I going to do? Like, how am I supposed to move on? You know, uh, before I did the therapy, I, I don't think I could have talked about this really. I would have been so stricken with emotion. I wouldn't have been able to really <laughs> function or to really articulate this, but I can now. And I, I, I remember I came to this conclusion as I sat there in this hallway that I was, I just have to soldier on. I just have to move forward, I guess. Like I had no one to bounce this off of, no one to talk to really. I my aunt was really a, an amazing source of strength for me at the time. She was this oh such a hero for me. But um, yeah, I just was like, well, I guess I just gotta deal with it and move on. But the part of me that I I just still didn't grieve, you know, and that was the. So you're right. I was able to sort of toughen it out and soldier on. And I think those are things perhaps our society likes to validate as really good things, like being tough, being stoic, mm -hmm. you know, but right. there is a part of that that I had still not yet processed. And that was the actual grieving of her loss. I had to feel it, you know, I, and 
Yeah. I can talk about it now much more. Even my wife will tell you, like for years, I didn't talk about my mom. And I didn't really draw the connection. I didn't really, I didn't really think about why. But although, you know, if I started to talk about her, I got really emotional and sad. So I was like, that's icky. Don't want to do that, you know? And uh, yeah. You know, recently I've been doing some podcasts with the new masculinity and talking about what what is masculinity and i think a good point to make is that we traditionally kind of maybe wrap up this you know i don't give a fuck yeah. i'm macho i'm tough i'm stoic and it's considered to be a a positive kind right. of manly tough trait however if you think of courage and bravery as a as a desirable masculine trait i think it takes a heck of a lot more courage to to be vulnerable, to, to go in and to face those painful emotions. In, in a way, it's kind of cowardly to continually hide from them and try to avoid those sad, you know, emotions, those the painful so, mourning um, loss, you know? It's, it is very difficult to face them. <laughs> that takes courage. That does take, um, yeah. that does mm. take a, a set of cojones, I suppose. <laughs> so just say I'm gonna, because really the only way through it is through it. You can't. I can't bypass. The, I I tried yeah. bypassing it for 20 years. I couldn't believe 20 years later, I was still caught up in right. those things and um, still kind of paralyzed by it. I couldn't believe it. What's that book? The uh, so let's let's kind of go into it too. So Craig has <laughs> dropped his fuck shield. He's He's realized that underneath the defense mechanisms, the suppression, maybe maybe for him not so much anger, but a way of being stoic and whatnot, there still were these painful, vulnerable emotions. And so step number two, naming the emotions, you said sadness. That's the one that you named, you know, some pretty deep sadness. What other emotions can you name that you we're going through or sometimes maybe still have come up yeah, when you I think, think about um, it. vulnerability to be sad because I still felt like I was a person that had to be constantly strong and uh, I don't know, tough for my family and yeah. really, mm -hmm. so I have three girls and one boy, uh, and it's really important. I think for young, uh, young women, uh, you know, teenagers to see emotion in, men it's still like that's very good that's very healthy mm -hmm. and so um i think uh, that has opened up a lot more opportunities for me to in, in a calm way to show some really uh, solid uh you know emotion at times and that's totally fine that's good that's that means i think that means you know people can be in touch with that healthy emotional side and you know yeah I don't know everything about the LDS faith, but from my friends and experiences around it, I have noticed sort of a unique thing, which is that it seems to be okay for men to show their emotions, sometimes publicly or in front of other people. And it seems to be an accepted thing, even a valued thing. And I don't know if what I've perceived is, is accurate, but no, I don't know if I you think can that's speak true. to that. You know, we have in our little congregations, we'll have regular people get up and speak, you know, just members of the congregation. 
And yeah, some men, uh, you know, will get up there and uh, show some emotion. I think part of it is, okay, you're in front of a big crowd and you're stressed anyway. <laughs> but you're also talking about some very <laughs> deep, um, deeply held sacred emotional things and perspectives and values and stuff. So that can be, um, I think you're right. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that is true. I think there's some maybe more uh, uh, liberal thinking on showing that emotion from men. So kind of back to naming the emotions, we've we've come up so far with some sadness, vulnerability. I'm curious in the if you feel comfortable talking about it with the EMDR, what kind of stuff came up? Uh, was there any fear? Was there any disappointment? Was was there any resentment or anger? I mean, when I think about losing a parent at a young age, the one of the first things that I think about is feeling like robbed, like he, something that shouldn't have been taken away from you was. And I, I, I have a lot of, you know, hate if, if that happened. I, I think I would just naturally feel hate for that um, you know, situation some, or whatever. How about you? I mean, anger maybe towards my dad. He, I don't know, he and I still kind of have a bit of a strained relationship, but there were some things that I think happened that I just, and this was before I was in anything medical at all. So I didn't really understand. I just kind of, went with the flow later on as a you know medical professional i kind of started to think like wait a second why didn't they do this why did and i don't know i think I, and i wasn't there again i was way out in california so i had no idea you know the, their discussions and the decisions that they were making my mom and dad meeting um yeah. but really i think i i did feel um Oh, it, was, it was just a lot of sadness, I think. I, I don't know that I felt maybe a little bit alone. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, my mom was really my person. She was she was my anchor. <laughs> uh, and mm -hmm. so that was, I think, feeling yeah. a alone, aloneness and maybe a lot of sadness. Uh, but, and to be honest, like, as I was, you know, 20 years later, there was a lot of anger that I had. Um, oddly enough, I, I'm not really an angry yeah. person. I don't yeah. think, but uh, I had to put down that. I, I remember reading that part of the book and going, Oh my gosh, I am, I need to put down that <laughs> anger shield. Cause, uh, it just, you know, <laughs> anger is interesting. Anger can be very activating and very, um, I don't know, maybe you can accomplish a lot with anger. It can, like be intimidating or I'm going to get some stuff done because I'm really mad. I don't know. Um, but some people can use anger as kind of yeah. like a yeah. forward motion kind of thing if they tend to be sort of motivated or productive people. But, um, you know. My take on it is I don't, you know, I hear that so often. So many folks come in and they say, you know, I'm not an angry person. Some people take it as far as to say, you know, I, I don't, I just don't really get angry. Like I, you know, and I, I just, you know, if we define emotions as like colors, right? We're going back to the color analogy. They, they happen to us. I don't think anybody wakes up and says like, you know what? I'm just going to be angry as hell today. Like I'm going to just be an angry person, you know? But you could be walking around and you stub your toe and anger happens to you. It's like, ah, that hurts like a, you know what, right? So 
anger is like one of my favorite emotions because like you said it, it can be so activating it can be empowering if you if you use it for good or you know if you use it for bad you can be quite destructive of course so i don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say that anger is a bad thing or anger is something that we need to control you know I, I used to do anger management courses for the you know veterans at the va we would have anger groups and anger management classes and as if as if anger was a bad thing that we need to tame or whatever obviously we want to separate out the destructive behavior that anger may be part of and make wise choices but really validating that because people oftentimes will complain that they don't have any motivation. They feel stuck. And it's such a activating, empowering emotion to get in touch with. You know, you gotta, sometimes you gotta get mad as hell about stuff in order to give yourself a kick in the butt to get going. And so just tapping into the truth that when we think about all of the horrible things going on in the world or things going on in our own lives and tap into that that stuff that really pisses us off, then we can transform that into positive action. Uh, but I'm curious how that's maybe fitting for you in your I experience that, or not so much. For me, I'm, I'm not as certainly explosive or I get upset uh, as easily. I think um, I'm a little bit more logical and, co and cognitive maybe about something that's frustrating that's happening, which has been w very useful, uh, for me. Um, I don't know, like, uh, that, especially with kids and, you know, my family, it just, uh, you know, when something is frustrating, we can take a moment, we can just go out and like, okay, I need 10 minutes here or 10 seconds, whatever. And you just go breathe. Uh, come back in and really, because when I need to discuss something with family members, it's so much better if I'm not angry, you know, uh, we can actually discuss things because if I'm mm -hmm. angry and I go in and, oh, I'm mad and I yell, you should, you, you know, you did this, or, you know, you, whatever it was, I don't know, uh, you, you were disrespectful to me or to your mom or whatever, all they're going to hear essentially is just me being mad. You know, we're not going to get to look Right. They're like, that's, you know, whatever, it's not appropriate. It's not going to work. We need to come up with a better plan. We need to come up with something that is, you know, workable to, and then they, they can see me managing kind of my own emotions and kind of being uh, a lot more co cognitive, uh, and being creative and how to find solutions rather than explosive anger. Yeah, and and to put it in terms of the the steps of radical emotional acceptance for for folks that might be trying to track it, you know, we want to identify the anger, then we want to directly look underneath the anger and see what those vulnerable emotions are: sad, hurt, feeling alone, mm -hmm. like you said, that painful loneliness, and maybe some fear too. The next step, of course, is to to listen to those emotions and then to act on them. So. We take the power of that anger, but we look with curiosity underneath it. We get all of our emotional wisdom and not until we get to step four, do we actually act. And part of our action might be choosing instead of 
letting <laughs> our loved ones know how pissed off we are, which is very true. We, we, we can let them know how sad we are. We can let them know how hurt we are, how scared we are. And that will awaken empathy and help them to feel closer to us. Whereas if we choose to unleash our anger, mm -hmm. they're going to feel absolutely like, yeah, further feel from attacked, us and scared absolutely. of us. Right. Uh, and, and it's okay, but you know, that doesn't really lead to a whole lot of like healing and moving forward in, in positive, good directions. Uh, cause you're right. I think when you actually start to discuss, this made me feel sad. Mm -hmm. This made me feel kind of uh, rejected or abandoned or whatever. Then you can really start to discuss like, well, okay, I certainly didn't mean for that to happen. Or, um, what can I do? What am I doing that could be causing you to feel or, or for the situation to facilitate feelings like that? So, um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, you're right. It's not until step four where there's actual action, which is great. <laughs> you know, I've noticed with your story, that's just so moving. It's, it's heartbreaking. And it's also just so it, it just really hits hard. If you really put yourself in that position, we, we can often make the mistake of feeling like we need to justify our emotions. I noticed when you mentioned anger, you, you sort of explained it. We, there's this need to say like, well, you know, is it okay to be angry? You know, well, I guess I, I have to admit I was a little angry at my dad. And it's almost like we, we can't have emotions without a qualifier. We can't, we have to make sure that it's appropriate mm -hmm. to have emotions. And so an alternative is simply allowing ourselves to have the emotions we have, whether that we feel like they're justified by our story or not, or, or maybe we just don't even understand why we're having them for the moment, but we don't have to, we can just take that first step of realizing like, oh, I, I look outside and I see, I see the color <laughs> purple. I have no freaking clue why, but the mm -hmm. fact is I see a lot of purple right now. Makes no sense, but that's the truth. And the same can be true of emotions. Like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm having some intense anger and then maybe some intense loneliness, some painful loneliness. And I don't even really know why I don't need to point fingers or justify it or blame anybody. That could be my starting point to just accept that emotional data oh, without no, qualification. Uh, very what, what do you I think? think? Um, I've had to do a little bit of work on sort of discovering why that anger existed. Um, I think it's sort of evolved into, I, I, I think part of it, I had, I learned some things that I originally thought were true that, um, see how my, that were not true. Uh, and perhaps some assumptions I had that were actually not true. So that definitely, mm. that, definitely changed sort of my perception of what occurred at that time when I wasn't there. Um, and so I think that gave me a little bit more like, well, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I wasn't there in those discussions. I wasn't a part of uh, that whole thing, but, uh, um, uh, so I think there's been a little bit more like me, um, maybe being a little bit more honest with, okay, did I somehow over the years kind of create this narrative of blame for, for someone else? And, but you're right. I think, uh, it's totally valid to be able to look and say, yep, I am angry and maybe I don't know why, maybe I do, who knows, but I do, I just feel angry. And yeah. 
Well, for what it's worth, based on, you know, what you've told us today, I, I have some pretty strong emotions of anger come up thinking about if I were in your shoes and if that happened to me and, and the way it happened. And, you know, not, not only was like, you know, she was your mom, she was your person. And then uh, it, your ability to know what was like going on with her uh, at that really crucial time was was taken away from you. I, I have a lot of anger come up about that. And, you know, not to say, you know, blaming anybody or whose fault or whatever, but just, and, and I'm glad I do, because I think that that tells me a certain truth, you know, and what that, you know, ends up being depends largely on your interpersonal relationships with everybody and so on. It's a very individual thing. But I, I would sell for me, I would celebrate that emotion of anger and the, and the deep hurt underneath, because that's reflective of how much, you know, you love her, you loved her, how much, Absolutely. you yeah. know, the relationship totally you know, meant to you. Right. It, I, I tend to, I don't know, I tend to be a fairly easy to forgive kind of person, easy to move on, easy to just like, it's okay. Let's just, you know, sure. um, maybe that could be an agreeableness perhaps. Um, but, uh, I don't know. It, it, a very difficult time for all involved because uh, she was the center of a lot of people's worlds. Uh, she was a, a, a pretty amazing human. Uh, Can't imagine. I think I had initially mm. some like to God or to the what you know to the world. Like what the hell? <laughs> like of all the people, gosh, she was the saint of a human. But yeah, you know, I can't change what what happened. So I just right. have to you know find a way to have meaning out of it to find meaning for me and to kind of remember things she taught us and to teach my girls, teach my, my kids about who she was. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, thanks for being, I think it's very brave and courageous, you know, for you to share something that, you know, is so deep and personal. And I think it's going to help folks out there that, that may hear this. As kind of a last point before we wrap up, I'm glad that you brought up the idea of forgiveness because a lot of the clients that come in struggle with, should I forgive? Do I have to forgive? I can't be, I can't be okay until I forgive. There's a lot of questions about it. And if you think about it with the steps of radical emotional acceptance, forgiveness becomes kind of a side issue because by the time you get to step four, the question of forgiving or not is really a personal decision and emotionally it is not necessarily consequential, meaning that you, you don't have to make that decision in order to still validate your own emotions, validate the intensity of your emotions, listen to the wisdom of the emotions, get really emotionally healthy with yourself and do the same for, you know, people that you're talking to with their emotions. And then the question of forgiveness or not, it kind of comes down to personal choice, morality, religious beliefs. If you do feel like your emotional wisdom is telling you that's the, that's the thing to do, then great. If, if you're still not sure about it, that's fine. But you don't have to get hung up on that as a condition to heal emotionally, is my point. And that can be very helpful because I've seen so many people who get stuck for years because they're they're just conflicted about this concept yeah, forgiveness of forgiveness. Really, I think uh, 
that's that would have to be sort of my like in my situation that would have to be something i just decide for me um because i can't you know i can't change or i can't you know ask anyone else to have forgiveness or anything i just it has to be something i i just decide for myself i guess where i'm at but that that can be very challenging for some some people, and has been challenging for some of my patients. How do I bring in forgiveness to this equation? So that yeah, that's very valid. If people want to get in touch with you, or follow you, or if they want to see you as a provider, uh, anything else yeah. that you want us to know Just about? Thank you before so much for having me. And uh, this is very cool. Uh, such a cool background out your window. Uh, uh, that's Boise, right? <laughs> that's so pretty. Right. Uh, clear yeah, skies. No, I'm Boise very uh, lucky to, you know, do what I do. It's, uh, really not, uh, not a hard job at all. I, I don't, I'm very blessed. It's, it's very cool. And Dr. Wills has been very helpful and influential for me. So it's been super fun. So all good things. Yeah. And I can't say enough good about Craig. He's just such a great asset for the team. He's helped so many patients, gets, you know, great feedback. And and you can tell he just really does have a heart for, for mental health and helping Thank folks. So, so thanks so much for being on, Craig. Hey, guys, thanks for watching. This is Dr. Alex Wills with Give a F Actually. Make sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for watching. Make sure to check out the merch store. Radical Emotional Acceptance.com Bye. Bye.